Welcome everyone to Seek Go Create. Tim Winders here, your host. Great conversation today about words like legacy and impact and maybe even some big words like philanthropy. And But it's specifically for me, I think about how leaders or people that perceive themselves as leaders can really step into what they're created for and what they really believe they're supposed to be doing. And I'll tell you, you know my philosophy, that doesn't mean it's outside of the business world. It may incorporate all that you're doing currently in your business role. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to continually remind you that detailed notes, resources, things we talk about today, you can find those at our website at seekgocreate.com. Make sure you visit there. Check on all that we discuss. If you want to go back and review something, it's real easy to do. We've got timestamps on things there. So make sure that you're visiting SeekGoCreate.com and checking things out there and connect with us. Make sure that we have your email address so that you can stay up to date on all things Seek Go Create. Today I have a guest. I'm actually in Utah, in southern Utah, USA, and the guest is in Melbourne, Australia. And I'll tell you, our time zones are way out of whack. It's really early in the morning for her. Bessie Graham helps business owners and leaders find clarity and flow when they're feeling overwhelmed and resentful to ensure that they avoid living someone else's idea of success. And, and most of you know, if you've listened to Seek Go Create, we are all about redefining or defining what success really means. We're going to have that conversation today. Bessie, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to be with you. Yes, and early in the morning for you. I thank you that you've got your tea and your 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 wake. Your your your. There's going to be a lot of energy here, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Very good. Hey, Bessie. Before we start, let me just ask the question. This is kind of like my icebreaker question that I ask people when I meet them anywhere I'm at. So I'm going to ask that of you. We bump into each other, and I just say, Bessie, what do you do? What's your typical answer when people ask you that? So I usually talk to people about the fact that I'm someone who's trying to help business leaders. So whether they're a business owner or a leader you know, within a, an organization, realize that they don't have to choose either or. The fact that they've got into business doesn't mean they need to just be focused on profit maximization and making lots of money, but that I work with them to figure out what it would look like in their particular business to bring the world of doing good and making money back together. So I really see that as being a thinking partner more than anything because mm. it's it's about how they look at the world and mindset. So I'm a thinking partner for business leaders to help them really experience freedom and fulfillment rather than having that one-dimensional life of just making lots of money. Yeah, and and, and I want to say two, two things. Number one, I love speaking with people from Australia because I love the accent. But there's a second thing, and, I, and I'm, I'm wanting to prepare myself in the audience. I've actually done a deep dive into your podcast, uh, both and, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I, I actually, I, I, as I've read through your stuff and looked through all that you've done, I've, I never saw the words that many people might use for some of what you do. So I'm going to throw the words out and then you could say, no, Tim, fortunately, we're a long ways away. You can't throw stuff at me or get mad at me. Maybe you can. <laughs> That's okay. But you don't seem to have the personality. You have such a calming, soothing voice. I felt like I've been through maybe these guided meditations as I've listened to your podcast. I'm just so peaceful and calm. I listen to them in the morning and I'm like going, ah, oh, I just want to kind of lay back down. Um, but very encouraging. The words that I see a lot of people use in the space you're in are coach, which is what I use, consultant. Mm -hmm. um, you use the word partner there, but why do you not use those words? Let me make, let me ask it in a negative way so you could go, mm. go to that. Why do you not say you're a coach or consultant? So, I mean, look, the thing is I do some of those things. So particularly in terms of coaching, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching session, you know, so there is coaching that's happening. In terms of the consulting, I do less of that now. I still do some of that uh, technically aspects of my work would fit into that category. 
but it's been a very intentional shift for me away from what I would describe as more of the consulting work where often you're doing something for an organisation, you're putting together something and, and giving it to them and it's not as much a an exploration where the decisions are all on their side, the content is from them and, and you're simply bringing some form or structure to the thinking. So the consulting side in my experience, particularly over the last 20 years, when I've been more in that space, I tend to be working heavily on the business as a whole, as the focus. What I am very committed to now in this next chapter and, and wanting to focus on for the next 20 years, if I, if I get the uh, pleasure of being able to do that, is to work with the individual leader. So it's about them. They may have a business. What we talk about, what they think about will flow on and have impact in their business. But I'm not actually drawn to anymore just working on, let's figure out what your business model is. We will have those conversations, but it isn't the entry point and it's certainly not the intent or the driver for, for me in terms of my passion of what I'm doing with a business leader. Hmm. The, the reason I love that so much, Bessie, is that I, I think I may have come to similar realizations that if you really help that person achieve what they're created for, which may or may not look exactly like what I would define it. You mentioned success in your, yeah. your intro. It, it, there really is an impact that can be had beyond anything that that we can imagine you know one of the things that i kind of skipped over but maybe this would be a good time to kind of add it in is you've got some things in your bio like award-winning award-winning business person i think i saw harvard somewhere in there so yeah i i i'm not really one that needs to establish credibility but I think we need to maybe for just a moment. Yeah, <laughs> so, so give us just a little bit of Bessie's CV or resume says mm. blank. And these are some things that's led her to where she's at now. Sure. Look, I'm always happy to have those conversations because we do have to be pragmatic. Any of us who have been in leadership roles for long enough know that there is a dance between we don't want something to be all about ego and that suddenly by ticking a box and that being the entry point of your conversation, people should listen to you and do what you say. But equally, when we're having really significant conversations and expecting someone to go from never having interacted with us, so having no rapport or trust, to taking on board some of the advice we might be giving, that's a that's a critical part of the the relationship that has to come to establish that. So very happy to talk that through. The overarching theme of my work over more than 20 years now sits in that category I, I touched on before of trying to marry doing good and making money, bringing those things back together, because I don't see those as new things. I think it's actually a return to what is deeply human. It's, it's not some fantastic new idea with no precedent. Mm -hmm. So that's in the different businesses I have founded and run that has been consistent. But if we go to my study, so you mentioned Harvard, I have undergraduate and, and postgraduate degrees. My master's actually focused on counterterrorism, so that might seem random. But leadership was at the heart of all of my study because what I was always fascinated by was if we want to have an impact in the world, part of what I want to understand is how do we influence, how do we shape the way that people are showing up? How do we be someone who can understand more fully what creates a movement, how change actually occurs, how we partner well and collaborate? Those things for me academically sit in the space of what I have studied and uh, and looked at in terms of politics, international relations and that type of thing. So my master's thesis, I compared the leadership style of three different leaders um, and I classified them as the charismatic leader, the uh, diplomat and the competent manager were these three different uh, gentlemen that, that I looked at. But the components of my study, so that it, it goes right back to leadership and, and my fascination with that. And then really what I found quite quickly was that I'm not a one-dimensional person. I didn't 
go, oh, now I want to go into politics or now I want to run a business or run a charity. And yet I saw all of those pieces in me that I wanted to contribute to. So it's always been about finding a way to bring together the really important roles of the corporate world or business, the role of government, and then the role of that, what's typically seen as the charitable sector, whether that's philanthropic or broader aid and development funding or charities themselves that are delivering um, services in an area of need. And so I have worked with huge funding organisations like the United Nations. I currently um, am working with the Obama Foundation. So I've worked with big systemic bodies that are looking at massive issues in the world down to a very practical level of all across the Pacific Islands. You know, I've sat out in the, the dirt in Samoa with coffee farmers or coconut farmers and understood their businesses and helped them figure out how are they actually going to be able to trade and bring investment into their business. So from my experience and the aspects of what I would say sets me apart in terms of what I have really hands-on uh, exposure to, I have very consciously chosen to be someone who understands and works directly with big systems level players. I have a ministerial appointment with the federal government here in Australia that I, I work with on a regular basis. I, again, consider myself a serial entrepreneur. So I've chosen to have my hands, you know, getting dirty and, and down in the weeds that many people who are big picture thinkers don't do. They stay academic, but I make sure I understand that system. And I think that is part of why I get results with business leaders because they say, oh, you can help me be pragmatic and understand the constraints of the system I'm operating in because you can think like a system, but you are not so disconnected from the challenges of what it actually takes to lead on a day-to-day -day basis. And the constraints and complication of running a business so that it actually still has to make enough money to function. We can't just be purists and have lovely ideas that don't actually work on the ground. Yeah, that's that's neat that you're able to describe how all those parts fit together. There was something you mentioned right at the beginning of that, though, that's, that's it's not nagging at me. I just can't leave it. But counterterrorism, if, if I'm doing my math correctly... Was this shortly, was this the early 2000s? <laughs> yeah, so um, I it, it that was absolutely when the, the rise of studying yes. and focusing <laughs> on that area took off. Yes. I then chose to, at the point when, when my um, certificates and things were being set out for my master's, we had the choice to say, okay, do you want it to say that it's a master's in counterterrorism or international relations? And I said, let's go with international relations because that doesn't, you know, put me in a in a small small box. But yeah, the, it was a fascinating time to be studying because the I chose to to do my master's when I was uh, pregnant and the first nine months of my eldest son's life to keep my brain active um, as I went through that challenging period, and it was. Amazing. I absolutely loved it. I'm a learner. Learner is my top strength in, uh, if you're into Clifton Strengths Finder. So, yes. always, you know, going from incompetence to competence. I love jumping into to interesting conversations and topics. Well, my number one is strategy. I don't know if that's going to help us in our conversation or cause issues, but, but, but I, I approach, I approach conversations like this in a very strategic way, which means I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to pick apart certain things to go along the way. And one of the things that I heard as you were talking and I want, I'm going to say it and then you can say, maybe, maybe not. It seems as if for at least most of your career. I also read somewhere that at one point you wanted to be uh, prime minister or president of, of the country you're in, which I yeah. I did too, but I was a generation before you. So I think I was inspired for different reasons than you are. Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe not. And maybe even on some different sides of the political spectrum, which is fine. And I'm, I'm okay with having conversations about that. Some people aren't. I, I enjoy those conversations. But... Yeah. It seems as if what Bessie has always wanted to do was not just have an impact, but have maximum impact. <laughs> I mean, not just yeah. like 
small impact, micro, but even though I know you mentioned you, you know, you sat, you know, on the, on, on the beaches and the floors and in, in the Pacific yeah. Islands, but someone wants to be present at this maximum. Someone who post 9-11 decides to go into counter-terror, they want to have maximum impact. Is that observation correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, uh, you know, the inner do something, do it well, but, uh, I think it even comes back to you touched on earlier this idea of impact. And I've done a lot of work over the years with people around how do we actually measure and manage impact? Because that's a critical topic in the work that I do, because otherwise we're just making all these claims, patting ourselves on the back about what wonderful people we are. And we don't actually know if we're creating a change in the world. And impact for me goes to the heart of, of what you're talking about, because to actually have impact, no one person or one organisation can claim attribution for impact. It's just not possible. A whole bunch of factors, different people's influence, different people's ideas or support are part of what creates impact. And so when you have any kind of vision or goal of how you want the world to be different and what you want to be part of contributing to, you need to be very clear on that aspect of part of contributing. So you are contributing to something bigger than yourself, but you won't be the sole person that makes that happen. Um, and if you want to be the sole person that makes something happen, either you're going to have to be delusional or your goals are going to have to be very small. Yes. I, 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 and that delusional part, I don't, I'm trying to decide if I want to go down that way a little bit. Because here, let me, let me, let me do it this way, Bessie. I think this is the best way to do because I I do think I, and I'm I sometimes think micro and then sometimes mm -hmm. I think macro and I think the tension between those two can sometimes cause issues for many of us I I think I I mean listen I'll I'll say something that's obvious you mentioned it you know you're you, you know you've got children you're a you're a, a mom or a mum depending on what part of the world you're from <laughs> and 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 you're also uh, an an impact person that's mentioned in this conversation, the Obama Foundation and the United Nations. How do people? How does an individual that's listening right now, because you've obviously done it, and I'm and I'm guessing, especially from listening to your podcast and things, that there's some degree of journey that you go on here. How does one reconcile the difference between changing diapers, breastfeeding? <laughs> you know, whatever a child's name is. I'm, I'm a grandfather now, so I can see this from a distance now, which is yeah, a lot more fun, by the way. Yeah. My kids are big now too. I get it. <laughs> yeah. How, do, how does one, and I, and I, and maybe you went through this and I think you may have shared some of this in, in an episode I was listening to the, I'm not making an impact on the world, but yet you are making a huge impact to an individual. Hmm. And then when all of a sudden you're sitting in the, the halls of, you know, colleges, universities, things like that, Talk a little bit about that contrast. I'm not, I'm not even going to pose it as a question. I'm going to give you that wide spectrum and just let you take that and go wherever you would like to go there. Well, I think that anyone who is the type of leader that shows a sense of self-awareness and reflective practice has thought through these things and, and has had this journey because the reality is that in in life there are chapters or seasons and part of what we have to dance with is this aspect of sometimes you are in a season where there's a whole bunch of things that you would love to be doing but because of the choices that you've made and the things that you're prioritizing in this season life doesn't actually look like what you thought it would. And I mean, I remember when uh, my kids were younger. So my youngest is now 13 and my eldest, my step is nearly 26. So we've got sort of 13, 17, 26. So no little ones anymore in the house. But I remember when our youngest was a baby and similar to you, we were doing a um, driving around New Zealand in a camper van and having all five of us, you know, crammed in this little, little space and a baby that didn't sleep and a husband that wasn't a good sleeper. And, you know, on one level, it seemed quite stressful and people would have thought, oh gosh, that wasn't very appealing. But I absolutely loved it because I remember my, my partner is quite a lot older than me. And I remember 
having these sleepless nights, but sitting there with my younger son and thinking, there's a good chance I'm going to have at least 20 years by myself Hmm. down the track. And I'm going to be wishing I was back here in this camper van with all five of us with these sleepless nights, but holding this little one and everyone's here in this little bubble. And I think that that's part of the ability of reflection is that you can see something as a season or a chapter. You can do the, um, I think that those of us who have that strategic ability and the, you know, zooming forward running scenarios, you can move forward and go, this is not where I will end up. This is not it. But how do I take a broader view and then bring that back to being able to be present here and enjoy and have some, you know, contentment in the the phase that I'm in. And so that's always been the way that I approach things. I have that aspect of achiever is another one of my top five strengths. And and I remember when I first did back in, I think it was 2007, when I did StrengthsFinder and highlighting those descriptions, and it felt like they'd just seen into my soul because there was a line that said, as an achiever, you need to get uh, comfortable. I don't know if it was comfortable, but you need to be, accept that you will have this sense of um, that whisper of discontent is what they, how they framed it. And that's absolutely true. And and one of the bits, and you mentioned my podcast, which is called Both And, one of the pieces that I am very conscious of and have been since I was a little girl is that I have these inbuilt paradoxes, these contradictions inside me that seem like, oh, those couldn't go together, but they are equally true. And so that piece of I'm very able to be present and grateful for what I have, but at the same time have this very active imagination and, you know, the projecting forward of where I will be one day. So that's, um, you know, a few little snippets into what that thinking has been. Um, But we also, you know, there's, there's lots of old sayings or mantras that can be helpful in that too, as you're going on that journey. So when our kids were little, my partner and I both got this tattoo on our wrist which says this too shall pass the beautiful saying that my Mm. mum always said when we were growing up and I think sometimes in those moments of feeling like oh I can't actually see the light at the end of the tunnel being able to you know rub my wrist and think this too shall pass you know this isn't I'm not stuck here forever can be helpful when you're not exactly in the phase that you feel energized by we 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 try to remind our daughter and son-in-law of that, they've got almost three-year-old, eight-month-old, and they're like going, "We're not sleeping, we're not doing, we, you know, we yeah. we've got some business things we're trying to do, trying to get some schooling," mm-hmm. and we just are sitting back, going, "Yeah, we've lived through that, and and things like it that." It will pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bessie. One of the things I like to do when I've got someone from a different background and all that, and especially when we talk about the the male female with relates to leadership. Some of the things you just mentioned as a male, unfortunately, we don't deal with that. So I think the question I'd love to ask you and, and then we'll move along is what what are some unique challenges that that female leaders in these roles have that I don't I'll even go ahead and beat up that I don't have a clue about <laughs> that, that I just need to be a little more understanding and, and all. And, and I mean, whatever, whatever you'd like to share in that, because I want to, I, I think just conversing about it helps. I'm not saying it solves, but it helps. Yeah. So any thoughts on that, that you'd like to share? Cause there, cause there's, you know, there is a difference between the way people are perceived in leadership roles. And I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. good. I'm just saying, it, it yeah. is. I mean, I could come into a meeting, yell and scream and people say, oh, what a strong leader. You yeah. do it and people go. I can't get away with that. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But it's, it's I don't know what else to say. What, what would you like to share, though, about that that would be helpful for some folks? Look, well, I think whichever side of that you sit. So if you're listening and you're thinking, okay, yes, I've been in a situation where I feel like my gender has played a role in how I'm being judged. Or if you're thinking, I want to be able to be wiser in the way I'm interacting. Mm -hmm. For any of us as leaders, and I I genuinely mean this, and in my experience, it doesn't matter where you, you fall on this. It is about all of us just doing our own work so that we can 
make good decisions in any given situation. Sometimes we need to be pragmatic and you say, I'm picking my battles and I'll just play the game and I'm not going to actually take this one on head first. And other times you need to call something out if you think it's it's inappropriate. So there is some wisdom and discernment. One I always talk to leaders about is if we think we can get away from having to make judgment calls or have discernment and be in positions of leadership, well, good luck. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think each of us is going to be on our own journey about uh, figuring that out. I definitely have had many experiences, you know, and it's not as if they're all far in the past, but but the one that stood out for me the most related to this um, aspect of being treated very differently to someone who I was doing the exact same role as um, in the way that, that you framed it. So in one of my businesses in the early days that my business partner, who is male, and I were both the co-founders. And within the space of two weeks, we had these very different experiences. So he spoke at a big philanthropic event and was talking to these uh, philanthropists about the fact that they had this double standard, that they all were wealthy and had a lot of money and were now granting to different organisations, but they were opposed to the CEO of a nonprofit ever being paid a good wage because, you know, how could those worlds go together? And yet they were living in mansions and, you know, very well off. And after the presentation, he had a wealthy gentleman come up to him and offer to pay his kids private school fees because it was so wonderful that he was doing this important work. And, you know, um, so there had been this recognition of the work and acknowledgement that he could have done anything and he was choosing to do this. Very shortly after that, I was in a situation where one of my kids was, uh, sick and I needed to go to uh, daycare to, to pick him up. And my partner and I had actually swapped roles. So I was the primary breadwinner and he was at home, but he just happened to not be around and couldn't, couldn't pick the kids up. So I needed to go. And in a business context, a gentleman said to me, oh, Bessie, it must be at moments like this that you realize you really should be at home. I know you think you're doing something important, but you're not. And I thought, isn't that interesting that, you know, it's disrespectful to my partner because he's actually the pr primary caregiver and he's really good at it. And you're saying that actually I should be doing it, not him. And it's disrespectful to me because while apparently it's so important that my business partner is doing this work and that he could do anything and this is really important, somehow suddenly it's not important for me. So there are double standards that I don't even think people are conscious of because it's just about these patterns and what we're used to. So there's two kind of aspects, you know, obviously there's lots of different stories any of us could tell about, about these experiences, but just to kind of keep it at a general level, I think there's the component, which is about each of us making sure that we're not just making assumptions about someone, because to be honest, it doesn't actually matter whether they're male or female. It could have been like my partner. He has a PhD, incredibly intelligent man, but we chose that in our family at that phase, He's older than me. He was more established. He didn't actually love his career. I was very ambitious. So we said, no, we want one of us with the kids, but it's going to be him. So you can't make assumptions that because he's an intelligent, experienced man with a good education, that he will want certain things or behave in certain ways, just as you can't make that assumption about me. So I think we need to take the time to be curious and ask questions and understand someone's context and what their version of success or a fulfilling life is rather than put it down to gender as being the deciding factor on any of that. Mm. The second piece is that particularly in my experience in the way that we in this house have chosen to navigate parenting and work is that we learnt very quickly a whole bunch of the things that we grew up with. I grew up in a conservative family. The the aspects that we would have unconsciously thought were gender-based were actually role-based. And when we swapped roles, because we didn't just do it in a token way, we really swapped. So I wasn't cleaning the house. I wasn't doing the grocery shopping. Brad did all of that. We suddenly would have these hilarious conversations where we'd say, isn't that funny? You used to say to me that that was me being a martyr and being a woman that was like... And yet I come home and you're rattling off to me. I swept the floor and I did all of these bits that are actually just about the role you're in. And so your experience of that day and the things you're focused on aren't about gender. When we have these very 
tight boxes and um, we've only seen it done by one particular gender, we've now put that in a category that says that's about being female. And often it's about someone being in really uh, enveloped and, and that that is their world. It's about the role, not the gender. So there's some of those pieces that I think are just worth a question because they're not always at that general level true. That can just be an assumption or simply the pattern or what we have seen as a norm based on our um, upbringing. Yeah, that's that's good. And it's a great bridge to something in, I guess, the short intro that I, I read when we got started about people living other people's idea of success, which is a big, it's a big discussion that we have here. And we kind of mm-hmm. try to bust up a lot of the copying other success, defining success by bank account, money, things like that. So, so let's kind of move up a level and let's start talking yeah. about leaders that are in certain roles. And I, you know, I don't know, I don't know who defines this best because we're really migrate. I'm trying to migrate us towards that word impact. So if we, mm. if we're moving up that Maslow's hierarchy or whatever we're going. We're moving up this pyramid where a lot of people are just, I need money, I need whatever, and I'm moving up to significance. What are some things we need to know about not trying to copy or live someone else's success that's in your your bio? Because I love the thought of that. Talk to us about that. So what I find is that the majority of business leaders that come to me are at this crossroads. So they are in a position where they've got the established business. From the outside, it looks successful. So they're ticking all those boxes of what we've been told in terms of, you know, they've got the education, they've got the levels of profit, they've got the money in the bank account, the house, the family, like it all looks. The title, the title. All of those things. Exactly. The beautiful resume on LinkedIn, whatever it is that that is ticking that, that box. And one of the things that that allows, which if you take this and work with it is actually really special. One of the things that allows is it gives you some of that space to ask questions that when you're down, you know, if you go to your, your pyramid, when you're down still in the levels where you're going, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay the mortgage or get the kids what they need? Or, you know, when you're in that headspace, some of these conversations feel like, yeah, that's nice. I'll have that one day. If you are in the position where you're more established, where some of those bits have been ticked off, you often get to that place where it's a a difficult conversation to have publicly. And this is one of the things that um, you may have experienced this. I certainly experienced that there's not much support given to leaders. There's actually this big vacuum. There's an assumption everyone's relying on us, assuming we will, you know, when everything falls apart, that we'll step in. And yet there's not really the safe spaces uh, and environments being created where someone can support and encourage us through that process. And so what I'm doing as that thinking partner that I spoke about before is saying to someone, it's okay, there's no judgment here because it can can actually feel a bit embarrassing to say, okay, what right do I have to complain as an established leader? Like it's all going pretty well, Bessie. Like what I don't really feel I could publicly say, oh, this is a struggle <laughs> um, because it doesn't look like that. And yet the, the pattern of being someone who tends to achieve these things is that you will be typically a certain kind of personality. You'll be driven, focused, that high performing type of person. And one of the things that I want people to realize, so if you're listening, is that that's a beautiful thing and it's why we're achieving what we're achieving. It's why we've got to where we are. And yet if there isn't the time being taken to really stop and question and think about, okay, did I go into this career because everyone said you're so smart and smart people do, you know, are either a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, there was certain boxes or almost a path that was set in front of me. Have I then reached each level of achievement only to ask, okay, well, I've done that, tick, what's next? And then I look external to myself and I chase what my culture says is the next thing to achieve. So when we do that, 
the again the leaders that I work with have reached that crossroads where actually they're asking the question of is this it like I don't it's not actually enough and not in the sense of I need more money or more prestige or more position but actually having this disconnected sense of I'm so much more than this. I did have a vision, whether it was when I was younger or whether it's still quite strong, I did have a vision of wanting to be proud of what I do and feel that sense of contribution. But when I live this world where it's the making money is a big driver when I go to work and then I'm myself when I step out of work, like this feels disconnected. And so that is not, if you're feeling that, you're not alone. And it is a massive downside of being the achieving type of personality is that, you know, if you listen to that phrase I used before of the whisper of discontent, if you let that drive you to just go to obvious external things that society tells you will bring you satisfaction, you will always be unsatisfied. And so that piece is really important when you get to that point and you start to question in a different way. The encouragement from me is to say, you will not find that fulfillment that you're looking for by just seeking more financial freedom or more independence or more money or or position. You've already got those things. And the reality is that it's about starting to think and not just be one dimensional, but to come back to a fuller sense of who you are. And that for me is where when we look at what are we ultimately trying to create? Yes, there's the freedom piece, but the fulfillment aspect, if you don't have both of those together, it's empty. And the fulfillment doesn't come from just chasing the position, the title, the money, and the external aspects that are just fed to us from such a young age. Mm. And so the word that kept rolling around as you were speaking then was a word we used earlier, which is the word impact. And Mm. you use the word fulfillment. I think the word significance might can be thrown into that little concoction that we're brewing Mm -hmm. there. So we're, we're kind of working our way up as we're, we're kind of talking here how does someone, I don't even, I don't know how to, how does someone move from that whisper of discontent mm-hmm. towards a, a place of more what they believe might be significance or impact? I, I actually, unfortunately, wonder if some of us will always have a little bit of a whisper of discontent because it's just the way we're wired, but we yeah. might have a little bit more content. You know, I, I try, I'm, I'm a, I study the Bible and scriptures and the apostle Paul, who was big salesman, mm-hmm. sold the gospel said, yeah. I can abound, I can abase. I've been content. I've been discontent. I've tried to do that, but I'm actually still a little bit just kind of discontent. How do we move towards a place where we could feel as if we're having more impact. I think that's one of the things you do. And I'd love yeah. for you to address it because I know you deal with big picture. Let's almost talk mm. small business person. They're, they're, they're hustling right now, trying to get out of the daily grind. They're seeing a little bit of financial space in their lives. How do they move more towards that feeling of having impact? So I think that it's about, it comes back to that piece of rather than being one dimensional and the descriptions or the behaviours of what you're actually doing being I'm hustling or I'm just trying to get to a place where we're profitable or like so having this sense of one track that you're on which actually just has blinders on to the reality of the context that you're in. The, The fact is it is going to look different for each of us. So, so I, I can't feel, copy. Isn't there a template? Can't you just give me a template? I just want to copy someone, though. Uh, wouldn't that be lovely? I'm joking, but and, so, and that, so we're that's all what, individuals. That's what we're most create, of us are doing. We're created yeah, as individuals. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> um, so it, it's important, though, because when we go back to the piece that we're trying to avoid, which is getting to that place where you realize you've actually lived someone else's life or someone else's idea of success and you go wow did I actually just spend the last 30 years of my career ticking all the boxes thinking I was doing the right thing 
but I, I have a sense of regret about that. So that's what we want to avoid. But in order to avoid that, we need to actually deeply understand ourselves and what drives us and what would it look like to have that richer sense of freedom and fulfilment. And I think it's important that you think about that as early as possible. Part of what I want people to be thinking about today as they're listening is how could I do good now? How could I have that freedom and fulfilment now and not always be thinking it will come with the next you know, lot of revenue or getting to the next target of profitability or the bigger house or whatever that external factor is? How do we actually find that? in our life today. And in my mind and with the work that I've done, even over the last 20 years when I have been more heavily in the business and working with businesses, uh, business leaders on their business itself, I think the best way to do that is to start with this mindset of what we have traditionally for a very long time now seen as two different choices. Are you doing good or are you making money? Is it a for-profit or a non-profit? Have you chosen to go into business or did you choose to go into charity? Breaking that down and saying, no, actually what I'm trying to create here, even if I'm in a, a phase of life that to the outside looks like it's in the hustle phase, even if that's where you are and you're starting something up and it's new and it's not established yet, you can from the beginning be seeking to build a business model that allows you to bring good back inside the business not simply about when I've made profit, I will give a donation to a charity who's chosen to do good because I'm in the making money category. But you can say, and this is a part of leadership, right? This is us taking responsibility for the things that are within our control and the decisions that we make. If I am running a business and I am making decisions on where we're spending money, who we hire, who we buy from, how we treat our staff, our pricing, the quality of our packaging or how we ship things, all of those decisions that I'm making every day have an element of impact to them. They have a flow-on effect, whether it's back into our supply chain and the choices we're making that mean that someone has a living wage or is living in poverty, whether it's about the packaging we use and the environmental impacts of that, whether it's about the fact that we are treating our staff well so they go home to their families in a joyful place, feeling thankful that they have a well-paying job and are treated with respect, or whether they go home so stressed that they are now having broken relationships with their children or partner, all as a flow-on effect of the culture that we've created. All of those things, whether you're established and the business is humming or you're back in that early stage, those things are within your control as the business owner or the business leader. And my genuine you know, desire or intent is to make sure as many business leaders as possible are not seeing these things as externalities, are not thinking that they will do good one day when they either sell the business or make enough money to give a donation, but that they're saying, no, these are things that I'm already, whether I like to admit it or not, I'm already having an impact through my business and now I want to be more conscious of it and I want to start to align and have that strategic thread, that common thread through my life that someone could look at it and say, ah, I see in the way that Bessie uses her time, I see in the way that she's using her talent and I see in that she's using her treasure, both her giving and her investments there is a strategic thread to her life which shows her passion for business and thinking it can be an agent for change, but her desire to, to contribute and leave a legacy, that is present in that time, talent and treasure. For me, you can see that and it's across all those things and that gives me that satisfaction. It doesn't take away, as you said, I think we have to be realistic, it doesn't take away the whisper of discontent that I want to contribute more, I have a big vision but there is a difference between the desire to do more and contribute more and always be driven forward and being someone who is just deeply unhappy or unsatisfied and not grateful. So I have a deep sense of gratitude and joy in that experience while still having a desire to do more. Yeah, the, the thing that's, I think, a couple things about what you said that I like. Number one, I 
am wired. I think a lot of leaders are wired and trained really by our culture and society to believe that you can do, 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 and then maybe enjoy or do something different down the road, keep putting it off. I'm real big on now enjoying the journey and, and just being at a place as we go along. Yeah. And then one thing that's fascinating related to that is I think there's a muscle that we have to work all along the way to prepare for the bigger thing that we may be doing down the road. I think, I think when people go all along and maybe just focused on self or we'll say it that way, and then all of a sudden they say, okay, now I want to do something huge and impact. I hate to say it's real easy to pull a muscle, but it's real easy to pull a muscle because you haven't been working it all along the way. There was, there's so many good things that I heard when I was listening to in on both and, but there's Mm -hmm. one thing that I think I want us to kind of finish up with, with our conversation here. And that is something related to values, because I think values is something that any leader at any stage can begin looking at what their values are. And you talked about the difference between aspirational values (laughs) <laughs> and core values. And I want to give one real quick example of a corporation I worked for early in my career with Bell South. They yeah. used to say, and they had bumper stickers and all that they said, safety first. That's our core value. And I'm saying it, try not to be snarky or, or anything, because mm. I, I knew that safety was important. <laughs> However, I really believe it was more aspirational because they were supposed to say it. They had, you know, worker yeah. safety and things like that. But so, so having me given that snarky example, you don't have to acknowledge it at all. If you don't want to, you could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's what I want to say, Tim. But, but just talk about aspirational values or things that we think culture, society believes we should be looking at or other people versus core values. Why is that so important? Yeah, and I think, Tim, you're not alone in giving that example. Part of why the concept of thinking about different types of values is important is because we've all had that experience where we think, actually, I respect you less now because you've claimed something as core and I do not see it in your behaviour. And so Mm -hmm. now I'm thinking, oh, what else are you telling me that isn't actually true? So it's important for us as leaders to realise that Just stating something, putting it on your website, having a poster on a wall doesn't tick the box of, great, well, now I've communicated what my values are and so I will be seen as someone who that is true for. It can actually undermine you. And it's why it is not an exercise that should just be done in a flippant way or doing a Google search of what are the best corporate values and then saying integrity, honesty, you know, and rattling off whatever everyone else is saying. My favourite thinker and person who has translated some of these very ancient ideas around values into a business context is Patrick Lencioni. And he has some great books that I think everyone should read if you're you're in this space. If you want the one that is, um, rather than being a fable, is more of a business book, The Advantage is the one to read, which has a section on the different types of values that he talks about. When he makes a distinction between aspirational and core values, with aspirational values, they are things where we are saying, I know that in order to succeed in the future, this is something that is going to need to be present that is not natural and currently on display in the way we behave, but it is important and I'm going to name it as an aspirational value so that part of what I'm held accountable to with my team or my customers is then someone can say, oh, so talk to me about how you're working towards that. What, what does that look like? It, it opens up a different conversation where they now don't say, um, that's not present in your organization, so I don't trust you. They go, I'm really encouraged that you've identified the need for that. And I'd love to know what does the journey look like to get there. So aspirational values are things that need to be present for us to succeed in the future, but they're not currently something that just comes naturally or is on display in our behavior. The core values component is around those things that are deeply rooted, already apparent, already in our behavior, and in fact, where we have a tendency to go too far. So when we talked before, we were talking about strengths and different things as leaders and the fact that our drive and focus on achieving is a strength but can also be a weakness. 
if you go into the shadow side of it. The same goes with our values. One of the quickest ways to identify if something actually is a core value is to be able to say, so when I'm doing this with leaders, they'll claim something as a core value and I'll say, great, can you give me three examples just off the top of your head really quickly of where you had a tendency to take that too far? So if you're saying, um, I, I always use just as a, a dramatic example, one of the core values in my family growing up was independence. And if you said, tell me some stories of you having a tendency to take independence too far, not only could I give you many stories, my partner could give you many stories of where I become so self-contained and I don't need anyone and I'm doing my own thing, you know. So if something is a core value, part of what will be present is that sometimes you take that too far because it's just so deeply in you. It is how you behave. It is how you make decisions. And so that can just be a really helpful question to ask yourself as you're naming these things. Does it actually distinguish you from someone else? Or is it something that, that across the board, so, you know, if you go to your example that you gave around safety, in many respects, that probably actually is what Lencioni would call a permission to play value. It should almost just be a baseline hygiene factor that is assumed. Of course, you shouldn't be wanting to harm your employees like that. That should be a given. That is probably not something at the level of a core value that sets you apart from others in terms of um, the way that you behave or operate. Yeah. And I think that's, thanks for sharing that because I think at the core, core values, I think that's where a lot of people, a lot of leaders have challenges. And my guess is when you work with people, many times when I work with people, when people we work with people, we really need to get at what their what those core are and 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 sometimes it can be a challenge because people have been living the aspirational for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And they have lost, I mean, and that in many respects comes right back to this overarching conversation and much of the the work that you're doing around these ideas of success when we can actually be honest and come to those aspects of what is core to me and what do I value and I'm not willing to compromise on it then those things give us this beautiful foundation or touchstone to come back to as we make decisions that say okay if I made this decision as opposed to that. Is that in line with my core values? When we make decisions in that way from a place of reflection, we are much more likely to get to a place where the type of success we have feels aligned and feels really integrated into who we are and who we want to be and what it is we want to be part of in the world. Yeah. Well, Bessie, I've got probably about 50 other questions floating around in my head. And I'm pretty confident that you and I could have a conversation for a long period of time, but it, it, the sun probably hasn't even poked through yet where you are there in Melbourne. No, it's and, still dark. And, and, <laughs> but I, I, I think I want to put maybe a, a, a mini exclamation point on the conversation by allowing you to, to maybe nourish, <laughs> nourish my soul a little bit and maybe some of the ones mm -hmm. listening. As we look across the horizon in our world today, and it could be just confirmation bias that we're getting bad news, bad news. We see leaders in most of our political circles that, and I don't, this isn't a indictment on either side. And we only have two sides here in the mm. U.S. At least in Australia, mm. y'all have a few different sides. We only have two. We don't see what many would say these are leaders that we would like to follow these are leaders that we trust that we believe in that they could carry us to places that that we have a lot of hope i would like i'm hopeful that you can give us a little hope mm -hmm. and give us some some these are some good things that i see that are going on i think obviously you're doing that and and I, again, I love what you're doing with both and the podcast and some things there, but give us some encouragement for some things that are out there that, um, that, that might, please, please give us some encouragement. <laughs> well, I think what's interesting when you think about that aspect related to, to politics and leadership that you're talking about, because that is apparent everywhere. Well, I, I want to pause one thing. I, it's business mm. too. 
because we, yes. we we've had this situation. This is time stamping with FTX, where there were going to be this great altruistic organization of cryptocurrency, and yeah. now we found out that mm-hmm. a lot of that was shambles. So I don't want to maybe yep. limit it to politics, no, no. but but you, but but now now go. <laughs> so let's yep. So good. Let's broaden it out and let's say part of that frustration or disappointment in the very visible aspects of leadership that we're seeing, whether they're in politics or business. The reason why they're unsatisfying, in my opinion, is because when we think of what the best forms of leadership are, that's not what's on display. It's when people are not actually taking responsibility for their decisions, what they have control over, who they're responsible for. It is when they are not taking a long-term view and they are instead saying either what gets the best uh, profit numbers in the next quarter or what will get me elected again in the next cycle. So they've shrunk down the time frame and they are no longer a visionary who has a functioning spine and is able to make long-term decisions. They are suddenly someone who is saying, look, the reason I was voted in was because I talked about these values and that's what my track record was to date. But, hey, I've got to be pragmatic now and we need to win the next election or we can't have any uh, influence. Or if we don't hit these numbers, I'll be kicked out as the CEO. In my opinion, that as a leader is a cop-out. That, that I don't respect those kind of pieces where you use as an excuse, well, I couldn't have any impact if I'm not here. Okay, But if everyone says that, then we continue to go in a direction that we collectively agree is not a good one. So what is the role of a leader in those situations? And I would rather someone step in and say, this might mean that I'm not the CEO in three years' time, or this might mean I am no longer the president of this country or no longer the leader of this party. But it means that I will be able to look back and say, We are trending in the direction of what it is that we collectively said we cared about, and I'm proud of the contribution I've made. So if I come back to the piece that gives hope in in what you're talking about, just getting to a place where we are starting to actually see leaders in all different places ask different questions, say, what does it actually look like to live a richer, fuller life? What am I responsible for? We've seen massive shifts around business that is, now it's not perfect, but that is trying to move from that place you spoke about, which is really token and selling a big story of impact, but not actually behaving in a way that's aligned with that. We are seeing these shifts of big and small organizations starting to realize the piece that I'm talking about, which is this both end aspect. If you come back to a both end mindset, What it allows for you as a leader is we're not saying, could you please go from trying to make as much money as you could to um, sacrificing your business and just doing good things that make no financial sense. The Any of the extremes, if as a leader, we jump from one extreme to the other, that's intellectually lazy. Part of why you're in that position with that comes the responsibility of you need to be able to think at a higher level to other people and you need to take responsibility in a different way to others. And I am seeing more and more that ability to say, oh, okay, what can I do within the realm of of what I do influence or have decision-making rights over? And how does that have a flow-on impact, which not only feels satisfying in terms of contributing, but actually sets us apart as a business or as a political party and allows us to get better results. I see that as the the win-win that can be created. And it shifts us into a space where if everything is disconnected and this big picture that we kind of say, oh my goodness, there's all of this, these social or environmental issues that are just entrenched problems. As an individual business or as an individual consumer buying products and services, we can't possibly get our minds around everything and do our research on every level of a supply chain of the hundreds of businesses we're buying from. But when we shrink that down and as a leader, we say, okay, I can take responsibility for the things I do have decision-making rights and I do have influence over, and that 
has the ripple effect beyond that. I think more and more leaders across the board are starting to look at that. And excitingly, more and more consumers are demanding that. And so there's this beautiful kind of buildup that's happening where for some leaders, it's not even that they personally are driven by it, but they're saying, well, this is being demanded from customers. We have to do it. And so then they're going on that journey. But whichever way it begins in terms of your drivers, it can still get us to that hopeful place of being able to see the world that actually we would like for ourselves and our children and grandchildren. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for giving us that hope there. Both and what a, what an interesting name. Tell us about that, the podcast and maybe where the name came from and uh, and where people can find it and connect with you and all of that. Yeah. So the I've said a few times in this conversation, these ideas of bringing doing good and making money back together is kind of that's the the heart of, of my work. So I'm trying to awaken the possibility for people of what could that look like if you actually had the mindset that said, I'm going to keep working with this business model. I'm going to keep reflecting on my behavior and decision-making rights until I get to a place where I'm not just picking one and compromising on the other, but I'm saying this now is a business where those two things are mutually reinforcing. So the, the name for the podcast simply came from that place of me saying, this is a mindset issue. This is about us no longer just accepting that there are two camps, that it's black and white, it's pick one, and then you know your track is set. The desire is for people to really start to think differently. And part of you, you mentioned that in listening to some of the podcasts, you know, you felt like, oh, that was a bit of a guided meditation and I'm feeling quite calm. That was on purpose because part of what I'm trying to get leaders to do is say, I understand that you move really fast and that you make decisions really quickly. But if I can get you to slow down enough to reflect on some of these things, I guarantee you, you will be a more effective and efficient leader. You will make really decisive decisions when you need to, but they will be decisions that actually are aligned and that are helping you trend in the direction of where you want to go. If we don't take that time to really question our mindset and really get clear on those fundamental issues like our values, then we will do what my partner always refers to as mistaking movement for progress. So we will think, because I'm busy, because I'm doing lots of things, I must be moving towards that end goal of what my vision is. And that's not a given. So both end is about helping leaders think differently as they kind of engage in whatever that work is they're doing. Mm, we, are, we are really aligned with what we're doing here because you'll hear me often say that leaders, one of the deficits that they have is not enough quiet and still yeah. and thinking and meditation or prayer or whatever, whatever just a stillness, yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. stillness mm -hmm. that we need more. And so I, I love that. I love that on the opposite side of the world, there's that that's going on. Maybe we'll start having a movement. You do, you do know, I heard recently that there are podcasts now that are 15 to 30 minutes of silence, which is kind of weird, but it just allows someone who's addicted to podcasts to be Commit, like I'm listening to a podcast. I love it. There I'm you listening go. to a podcast, wow. but I'm being still and quiet about it. So maybe I need counseling, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a whatever works thing. Or a coach or consultant or, <laughs> or a think partner or someone. Thinking partner, yes. <laughs> thinking yeah. partner. So anyway, Bessie, what a great conversation. Where um, they obviously can find you at the podcast. Any place else that people yep. can go to connect you, connect with you? So if, if people just go to bessiegraham.com and then you can either directly reach out to me there, or that can funnel you through to some of the conversations that I'm having on others' podcasts or my own. That's the best way to connect. Perfect. Yeah. I spent some time on your site the last few days. I've enjoyed it. It's a great place for people to go just to learn about you. Great articles, great connections and all there. We are Seek, Go, Create, Bessie. I'm going to let you take one of those words over the other two that resonates with you, means more to you now, and why. That's my last question. I, without hesitation, would pick seek because it comes back to what we just spoke about. My experience is 
if we don't do that piece really well and honour it and give it the space that it needs for us to really be reflective, aware, spend that time on both. I often talk about the being grounded in our values and moving towards our vision. You need clarity on both of those places, the values and the vision. And that only comes if you take that time to reflect, to seek, to actually get really clear. When you have that, you can then move into the other two from a place of clarity and alignment and now put into practice something that is deeply true and important to you. So absolutely seek is my mm. choice. Thank you, Bessie. I knew that this would be a beautiful conversation and it definitely has been. I encourage people to check out both and and to connect with Bessie on her, her website and other places that you could connect with her. I'm going to ask one other big favor for those listening in before I final, before I wrap things up here. Share this episode. I am confident that there is someone that you know, you interact with, a leader or, or someone that you uh, know that they're going through some struggles related to this, that they need to hear this. And so make sure that you share this. Just take a screenshot if you're on a podcast player and text it. Or if you're on YouTube, just share this. I encourage you to do that. I think that, uh, I think that connecting with Bessie is one of the best things that they can do. I have enjoyed it. I am so appreciative of her waking up early over there in Melbourne and spending time with us. So we have new episodes every Monday here at Seek Go Create. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. Thank you.